Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. And you can find this on page 874 if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided. Again, 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Amen. About 10 years ago, uh, you may have, uh, like me, received a Ford email in your inbox. Uh, This was still around the time where you'd read anything. Remember these times when you'd read any Ford, even if it was like from XLR30 at candystore.com. Oh, this looks interesting. (laughs) So I remember opening this email. It was a widely circulated email that was was supposed research uh, done by Cambridge University uh, regarding reading perception, how people read. So I want you, if you would with me, we're going to do an exercise together. Read aloud with me the following paragraph, which was the email. I received. Following paragraph, uh, and we can join in together on these research findings, okay? According to research at Cambridge University, (laughs) it doesn't matter what order the letters in a word are, (laughs) the only important thing is that the first and last letters are in the right place. The rest can be a total mess. And you can still read it without a problem. This is because we do not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. Very good. All right. Now, I assume, of course, this research, all of it's true uh, from Cambridge University because it came from the internet, number one. And uh, secondly... Because a bunch of people in my dorm tried to use it in their research projects. And so, obviously, it must have been true. Either way, it accurately illustrates uh, the point that we don't need every single little detail to get a big idea. Similar to, in many ways, service or volunteering in the church, often we tell ourselves... We need to comprehend every detail, or every detail, uh, every star must be aligned before I'm going to help out in the church, before it will fit. For some of us, the stars must align, right? a uh, lunar eclipse must be happening, and Halley's Comet must be orbiting the earth simultaneously for us to say, yes, I can now serve in the church. <laughs> now... Friends, what I want to communicate this morning is that we don't need every detail or have every detail in place to serve in God's church. We just need enough to take that initial step. And I think the Apostle Peter gives us just that this morning. A starter's kit. So the starter's kit for service in the church that Peter gives us, in a nutshell, is this. Find your gift... And use your gifts so that together we might display his gift. We're going to follow that outline this morning. So here's where we start. Find 
your gift. As Peter says in verse 10, as each has received a gift. Now, Peter opens this very long sentence by casually, just sort of in passing, touching upon a remarkable reality. Which for every Christian, like icing on the grace, right? That it's enough that the God of the universe draws us, draws enemies near to himself, former enemies to himself, and rescues them from a life of misery, from an eternity of torment, and does so freely, freely, without cost, through saving grace, what's known as saving grace. And that's enough. But then comes the icing. He puts the Holy Spirit, God, inside of those who trust him and gives them each supernatural gifts with which they might uniquely contribute to the growth of his church. So each person has a unique way of contributing to everyone growing. What an awesome privilege we have. If we trust Christ, each of you have these gifts, literally have these spiritual graces. These spiritual gifts are called little charises, grace. So if you trust Jesus, you've been giving a unique mix of gifts that we absolutely need to individually and collectively max out our spiritual growth. A spiritual gift is any ability empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Now, this definition encompasses gifts seen as more miraculous, gifts like a, a prophecy, a, a, a word from God, or, or healing, and those kind of gifts. But it also encompasses those related, those gifts related to more natural abilities. Gifts like teaching, uh, administration, uh, mercy. I like to call them uh, uh, supernaturally natural gifts. They're gifts you may have had before you were a Christian, like they were kind of like uh, diamonds in the rough, right? You had a gift of administration, or you, might, you may have been able to teach, but when the Holy Spirit empowers you to do it, man. And as we see here in 1 Peter, there are two sort of uh, general categories of gifts, okay? Speaking and serving gifts, or, or word and works gifts. All right, some of them overlap, and it's not exact, but generally that's what we see. Look with me in verse 11, where he says, For whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. And then he gets to another set of gifts. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. These are the two general areas of gifts. And here's the list I'm going to show you up here on the screen. And we're not going to go through this list right now, go through each one. But they generally, generally break down into uh, word gifts and works gifts, or speaking gifts, and service gifts. And there are a couple things I want to point out about this list. Number one, it does not come with an instruction manual. All right, no, in the Bible, we don't get an instruction manual for these things. Now, in the fall, uh, I'm hoping to go around to each community group and help us think and pray through what each of our individual gifts might be, and do that as a community. Identify those things, and, and think about and brainstorm of how to use them. But for now, uh, you could probably get a handle, first of all, on what is not your gift. All right, I know you're looking up at that list and you're saying, okay, there's certain things that do not apply to me, right? But you can also, with a little help, get a little bit of a handle, maybe help from a friend, 
on identifying what might be your gift. Now, here's the second thing I want to point out. And you, by the way, you can feel free to ask me questions about spiritual gifts later. I'm not going to focus on that this morning. But second thing, this list comes from five different lists. Primarily from five different lists in the New Testament. All right, why is that important? That means that those who wrote each list never wrote an exhaustive list of all the gifts to the churches they were writing. In other words, they didn't include each of these in their list. They only included some of them. Why is that so important? Well, through that, what we see is neither clearly identifying nor using these gifts exists in some sort of vacuum. Each church, as demonstrated by the writers of the New Testament, had unique needs. Okay, so that's important. They had unique needs, and they were calling out at this point unique gifts. And what we should learn from this is we can't expect the church to create ministries so you can figure out and use your gifts. All right, that's not the point of having ministries in the church. Now, that might happen. We want that to happen, but that's not the point of having ministries. You follow me on that, right? A guy named Frederick Buchner, a neat author, once defined calling in life as the place where our deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. So similarly, we might say our calling to serve the church as the place where your gift and the church's need meet. That's where calling to serve is. And it's a wonderful thing when that happens, and I hope you've experienced it. It, it's, it is truly amazing. But you'll have the opportunity to, if you haven't. Let me give you some, ex- some real examples of this. Obviously, for instance, if you had the gift of hospitality, right? That supernaturally natural ability to make people feel comfortable. Right? You just have that. I don't mean hospitality by baking brownies and making a good pot of tea. All right? That can be that. But that supernaturally natural ability to make people feel comfortable, then helping out in the greeters ministry... It's probably an obvious fit. But right now, let me give you some less obvious examples. Right now, for instance, our greatest need is for volunteers in our nursery ministry. Especially as we have more young families coming into the church. And we're opening this new nursery area to, to make more room. Now, you possess a gift, let's say, of administration. How does that help? With nursery. You think there are opportunities, right, to help us organize and coordinate for nursery? Absolutely. If not collectively as a whole, maybe on the morning that you work. We need people who are organized, that can help, that can print things out, and know how to direct for a nursery. Although you may not normally associate, hey, I'm good at administration, with let's work with three-year-olds. Right? Or two-year-olds, right? Not natural, but there are ways that works. For instance, you maybe have a gift of intercession, right? Of intercessory prayer. Do you have to make up or join a prayer team to use that gift in the church? Heck no. You don't have to do that. For instance, I know uh, Laura uh, Daisel, if I her name, and Mark Marie Van Heerden, when they teach our five- to eight-year-olds, they came up with this idea, all right, when they teach these kids. At the end of every lesson, they hold hands in a circle, and the leader presses the hand 
of the person to their right. And that person is just to say something to God that they're thankful for. And then they press the hand of the kid next to them and then the next to them. Well, what are they doing? Well, slowly but surely, they're teaching children how to pray. All of our ministry coordinators and community group leaders, friends, are open to these kinds of ideas where you can implement your gifts to serve in an unexpected place. In fact, I would say, before you say no, before you say no to a ministry, really think through how your gift might be used in an unlikely ministry to meet a need. So that's point number one. Find your gift. Point two, use your gift. I think is what Peter's telling us here. How does one use their gift according to Peter? He says this, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Use it to serve one another. In other words, to serve the body of Christ. The body of Christ are the one another's in Scripture. To love one another, care for one another. That is the local expression of God's universal church. So let's consider together Paul's description of how God's people are to use their gifts in serving one another. What does he say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 21. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, different kinds of people, right? Commandians, expats, etc. Slaves free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, what would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, what would be the sense of smell? In other words, we need every part. That's what Paul goes on to say. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I love this analogy. It's straightforward. You may have heard it before. But I love how Paul says that. And up on the screen, I've put a picture of the human body. All right, a PG version. Human body, I want to keep it clean. All right, now, Paul identifies some of the parts of the body, right? He identifies the foot. I think that's a gingerbread man. He identifies the foot, hand, eye, ear, nose, and head. Now, Paul could have kept going with this list, right? He could have taught a Sunday school class on church anatomy, all right, and, and how it works together. Like, he would have found a reason for the lungs, to be part of the body of Christ. Like, that's the worship team. You know, whatever. I mean, Paul could have kept going. But one part of the body Paul never would have included is the appendix. Right? Uh, you know that part of the body that has chosen to hang back, chill, not help the rest of the body, right? But finds a way to rationalize that he's somehow different. He can stick around. Because of certain circumstances, helping doesn't apply to him. Friends, there is no appendix in the body of Christ. 
And you know what happens, right? After a while, trying to be an appendix in a body. <laughs> Oftentimes the body gets appendicitis. All right? And God flushes, and in some cases, maybe temporarily cuts out the appendix. One pastor of a prominent church said this, a person who attends church but does not begin to serve will drop out within a year. One can ponder all the research on how to assimilate new people into the body of Christ, but it comes down to one simple variable. If people begin to serve, they stick. You know there's truth to that, right? You, you could, I, I, look, I love this church, and I know I'm so grateful a number of you do too, and some of you love it, and you, you, you like the worship, you like the preaching, you like kind of the general atmosphere. But if you don't fellowship and serve alongside people, eventually, you'll stop coming. Eventually, that will happen. But, having said that, you'll always be welcome. You'll always be welcome. In fact, I love the way I heard a, the wife of one pastor once put it. She said about her church. She said, in our house, you're a guest. And you're always a guest. But you don't become family until you take out the garbage. Right? I mean, you're a guest. And we want you here. But you really become family when you take out the garbage on trash day. And you help out. It's true, isn't it? And those of you who serve, you know that's true. During uh, the outreach sermon I gave on one of the, the pillars of our vision is outreach. was the second one we went through. It was a few weeks back. I, I uh, you know, gave us our plan of action for uh, serving uh, Georgetown Primary School starting in the fall. I told you uh, that while 30 to 35% of our church serve, my prayer is for a 50-50 split. And not 50% hands, feet, 50% appendixes, but 50% serving one another and 50% reaching out and serving our community. That is my prayer, that we would get there by the end of this year. I know that's bold. But God means to use all of us and our gifts. Which brings up a legitimate question, by the way, that you may have, and that is this. Why do churches... I talk about serving one another. Why do churches focus so much on themselves? It's true, right? And, and the focus seems so much on the internal when there is so much need in the external. We look at the world around us, and we see so much need. I mean, isn't that why churches uh, seem like self-infatuated clubs, right? Like churches sometimes seem like vain beauty contests. Don't I look good? Yes, you look good, brother. You look good? Yes. Like sometimes churches, we can act that way. You know what I mean? But one reason we do need to, in a sense, focus on ourselves is Scripture tells us not only to care for one another, but to take extra care to do so. Paul says this in Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So first, Scripture tells us to. But there's a second reason that's alluded to in our passage this morning, and it actually 
focusing on serving one another actually does more good for people outside the church than you would think. And we're going to get to that here in a moment. But, but before I get to that, the second way Peter says we're to use our gift. The second way we are called to use our gift, by grace. The fuel that God supplies. God cares not only that you serve, but how you serve. Why you serve. He knows, he, he cares so much about this because in part, God knows us. I remember uh, saying in Psalm 103, says he remembers that we are but dust. You know, he, he knows our human tendencies. Right? And while we may start serving, motivated by that little spark of love, that spark of God's love that gets us to serve, we have a tendency to revert to doing things on our own strength. So you know what? I can do it. You know, the motivational speaker, that I can do it. I'm good enough to do this. Strong enough to do this. I can do it. It's not hard to make coffee or greet someone at the door. I can do it. But friends, that kind of mentality, that kind of doing things on your own strength, always leads to a dead end. Always leads to dead. Either you get frustrated and tired of serving because you're doing it on your own, on the one hand. On the other hand, it leads to the exalting of self. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I'm good at this. You know, I should lead this. I should get, you know, this exalting of self happens where it's more about you than it is about God. So that's why he cares about how we serve. Notice a pattern here in verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. There's a pattern here. Let's start with works of service, right? He says we are to do this in a certain way. Works and service, those gifts, I'm going to encourage you to adopt the strength, adopt strength through the grace of prayer. All right? Do it with the strength God supplies. How do we adopt that strength? How do we uh, access it? I think it's through the grace of prayer. Not that God won't strengthen you through encouragement or through his word or other means, but knowing folks who serve well, whose gifts are to serve and to help often behind the scenes, I know they're greatly empowered by a heavy reliance on God through prayers, their own prayers and the prayers of others. Like Brother Lawrence, right, who never imagined himself spending his life cooking and cleaning the kitchen at his monastery. Right, he wanted to be a teaching monk. God said, no, you're going to cook and you're going to clean many centuries ago. But he grew to find his lifeblood through conversing with God all day long. The strength God supplies for those of us who, who serve, I think it's through prayer. I love what the great evangelist Billy Graham, how he described prayer. He did it in such a way that we know how to access grace. It's a way of accessing grace. He said it this way. Prayer is not using God. It is more often to get us in position where God can use us. It's a great analogy. I watched the deckhands on the great ship liner, the United States, as they docked the ship in the New York Harbor. First, they threw out a rope to the men at the dock. Then inside the boat, the great motors went to work and pulled the great cable. But of course, 
the pier wasn't pulled out to the ship. The ship was moved snugly to the pier. Prayer is the rope that pulls God and man together. But it doesn't pull God down to us. It pulls us up to him. For those of you gifted in service and works, I exhort you to press in and obtaining strength through the grace of prayer, the gift of prayer. Keep pressing in with it. Or start conversing with him for the first time when you begin to serve. And then we have the other kinds of gifts, these other groups of gifts, that is word gifts or speaking gifts. In verse 11. Now what does he say there? Peter says, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. So I'm going to encourage those of you whose gifts are more speaking oriented to adopt, sorry, to adopt gravitas through the grace of God's word. What I mean is to adopt that weightiness of your words. You know what I mean? That weightiness of your words, that they, that they carry weight with them through the grace of God's word. Now there's a legitimate dispute as to what Peter means here, when he talks about spe- as speaking the oracles of God, is he saying when we speak, we should only be speaking God's word? And I would say somewhat yes, but mostly no. <laughs> I'm not committing, obviously. I would say no, because if Peter means speaking only God's word from the Bible when you speak, then it renders his analogy moot. He would just say, when you speak, speak God's word. That makes sense, but he doesn't say that. He says, when you speak, speak like you're speaking God's word, as you're speaking God's word. He means for those who do speak through evangelism, encouragement, teaching, preaching, prophecy, to do so with great seriousness, with great gravity, as if you were handling God's divine words. Like when you're speaking in those capacities, to speak with that kind of seriousness, all right? But I I do think also here is the idea that the more one immerses themselves in God's word, the more natural it is to more seriously weigh his or her own words, right? The more you immerse yourself in God's word, the more natural you start to weigh the words you give others. For years, I was um, in a more what you call uh, charismatic church in which people would often deliver uh, words they felt like were from God. They were uh, impressions on their hearts sometimes. They were a picture, things like that. And they weren't meant to be infallible like Scripture. This is our only true, for certain, we know it's true word. But they were just words people thought, maybe, maybe this is from God. I don't know. So over the years, I received a lot of these. But, and there were some, there were, look, there were some really good ones, and there were some nutsy ones, all right? I'll just be honest. But over the years, there were two or three persons who, when they gave them, they had more gravitas, they had more weight, because their words were intermingled with Scripture. Do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like their words were always about, like, I saw this dog and a rainbow and a, and a, and a lake, or things like that. It was like, you heard God's words in there. Why? Because they had immersed themselves in God's Word, because... They had adopted that seriousness of their words because of the grace of God's word. They had, they had read it. They had immersed themselves in it. And you could tell. For those who speak and wish your words to carry weight, 
Make God's word your companion. Make it your companion. It is grace to you. You ever notice if you read Paul's letters, if you go through the New Testament and read Paul's letters, they almost always end with this little phrase that says, grace be with you. <clears throat> it was always ends with saying, grace be with you. Is that Paul's way of just saying, you know, peace out. You know, his little like greeting. No, I think it's this. And, and I, I learned this from another pastor years ago. God's grace, or, or the grace Paul is talking about, is that letter, God's word, he has just written to the church. And he is saying, let this strengthen you. When you go home to raising your kids, or, or you go home to an unaffectionate spouse, let this grace be with you. When you go into your workplaces, and you try to muster up the courage to speak God's word to a coworker, let this grace goes with you. So I encourage you guys with word gifts, let God's word be grace to you. Alright, final point, third point. So that together we might display his gift. We do all this, we find our gift, we use our gift so that together we might display his gift. Look with me in verse 11, the end of verse 11. We do all this in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now when someone in the Bible uh, ends their sentence with an amen and they're not done speaking, we better pay attention. All right? That means like they've had a moment of glory. All right? They're like, yes, amen. So it's our cue to like, this, listen up. What has just happened? That this guy is saying, amen. Let's talk about what's happened. Because he says, God through Christ is glorified. Now, according to people, Peter, how is God through Christ glorified specifically? What is Peter specifically so excited about? We mentioned one already. First thing is, when God's grace fuels our gifts. When we don't try to do, great, do ministry and service on our own strength, but God's grace, his word, his power that comes through prayer, all of his gifts are are the thing that motivate our gifts. That brings great glory to him. We talked about that already, though. The second thing, and here's where it gets awesome. God is specifically glorified through Christ because God's varied portrait of grace is on display through the church. I want to look at this word here in verse 10, where he says, as good stewards of God's varied grace. This word's varied to describe the grace on display is the word poikilos, the Greek word poikilos, which can mean uh, manifold, variegated, uh, motley. Isn't that a great, like motley crew? Motley or many colored. Like this grace doesn't come in one form, it comes in many colored forms. It was used in uh, literature at the time, secular literature in the Hellenistic world, to describe the skin of a leopard, uh, different veining in a marble. In marble, you know? Uh, various hues in a mosaic, in a work of art, and variations in a strain of music. That's what this word, poikilos, was used for. Now, I love this, and I want to tell you why. Probably the best compliment you can give a piece of art is when it forces you to look at something ordinary in a different entirely fresh way, 
right? You take something very ordinary, but look at it from an entirely different, fresh perspective, and it somehow becomes more meaningful. You see it in a new light. You know what I mean? When I was young, <clears throat> I remember getting uh, stuck waiting for my parents after church one day. We went to an Episcopal church, grew up in Episcopal church, and there was this old Episcopal sanctuary. I was sitting in the pew. Just outside, sort of the north area of our church, lay an old drab courtyard where older members of the church, we had an old, you know, older members in our church, they often gathered afterwards for coffee. Lemonade was forbidden. This was coffee, I think. But for the first time, I caught a glimpse of this courtyard through a stained glass window. And it's just this little memory I had when I was a kid. But I remember looking through the yellow hue of the stained glass to that familiar courtyard, and, and it's elderly. And they were transformed on an otherwise gray and drab day. It was like just looking at it in a different way, it gave that scene life for the first time. And I mean, it was all these, oh yeah, birdbath in the middle, old vines, you know, this sort of thing. But looking at it in a new light, through this yellow hue, it, like, it seemed to give it life. Friends, people are familiar with certain ideas and images of Jesus. Some of them are old and drab. Some of them are dusty. Like this one. Alright? We know this one, right? Jesus, blue-eyed, part through the hair. Like this one. Uh, Jesus holding the lamb close to his breast. Alright? Or this one, Jesus with little children. I don't understand. Jesus with little children always seems like they just took the photo at JCPenney's. You know, like their little photo place. <laughs> these are ones people are familiar with. These images, these thoughts of Jesus, and let me be frank, of Christians. But what about this one? Or this one? Or this one? The church which uses its gifts to serve one another is a work of art through which an onlooking world receives a fresh, brilliant view of Jesus Christ, God's gift. Do you see that? That's why Peter says in verse 11, in everything that God may be glorified. He means in every and all kinds of gifts that God may be glorified. A church body becomes a refreshing portrait of Christ. Not because each of you are unique, but when each of you uses your uniqueness to serve. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would use Sunrise Community Church, Lord, use us to be a fresh, brilliant portrait of your greatest gift to the world, Jesus Christ. That will happen as your word shows us here when each of us uses his gift or her gift to serve one another. Help us find a way to do that. It may not be our first choice of ministry. It may not be our second choice. Father, we can find ways to do it. Help us not sit on the sideline and be an appendix in the body of Christ. But God, in all these things, we want to do it, one, because of your grace. Help us do it with the strength and the grace you've provided. And help us do it with a desire 
to give a glorious picture of Christ to an onlooking world and frankly to one another. I pray this would happen through service in Jesus' name. Amen.